and welcome back to another episode of Deets with Dita. I'm your host Nandita and today, before I kick off this week's episode, I just wanted to say I am fully aware of how ill I sounded last week in last week's episode. I did not realise until after I had like already recorded it and then uh, edited it that I was on the verge of being like fully ill and um, it was only the literal next day when I actually realised I was ill and that my voice was incredibly croaky and quiet and weird during last week's episode so apologies for that but hopefully you will I am recovering now I am feeling a lot better I feel like I can talk more without dying of coughing every two seconds which is great so With that being said, let's crack on with this week's episode, which I am incredibly excited for because, I mean, last week we left it off with a Marvel content, and now we're bringing it back this week with even more Marvel content, which is incredible, amazing, very excited. This MCU nerd's heart has been warmed. Um, And this week we're going to be looking at, you've guessed it, the Disney Plus series Loki, because it finished last week... Wednesday. So there's a lot to talk about, there's a lot to get into and dive into. So um, the way this episode is going to work, it's going to work in a very similar way to the episode um, with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was with Gracie, if you haven't checked that episode out, it's a really good one. Um, It's going to work in a very, very similar way. So I'm going to give you my non-spoiler take. So if you're one of the few people who hasn't seen the Loki series yet, I will plead my case into saying why I think you should watch it, the things that I thought about it, and maybe it will convince you to watch it, or maybe it will defer you from it. We'll see. Then, once we've got that all out of the way, we're going to head into spoiler stuff about it, so I'm going to talk about all my favourite parts of the show, I'm going to talk about the weak points of the show, because I do believe there are some, Um, and then I'm going to give my episode ranking, because though it was incredibly difficult to make, Uh, I found it very difficult to try and place all of these episodes above or below each other because they were all good slash bad for very different reasons, Um, so it pained me to make that list. Um, And then I'm going to talk about how it ranks in comparison to the other MCU series that we've seen. So we've seen WandaVision and we've seen Falcon and the Wind Soldier. So personally for me, where do I feel like this sits? And then finally we're going to talk about larger picture MCU. So how does this particular series fit into the larger and wider scale of the MCU and what we're going to be seeing in the future? Uh, which I am incredibly excited to talk about that one because this series did really get me incredibly hyped. So, with that being said, let's get into it! Quick note from uh, future Nandita here. If you can hear a buzzing noise in the background, I am incredibly sorry that I did not mention the reason why at the beginning of the episode I was meant to and I completely forgot. It is currently 30 degrees here in the UK. I cannot record without a fan. It already gets hot in my room without having a fan when I'm recording an episode anyway. But it is literally over 30 degrees and I will melt if if I don't have the fan on. So I'm incredibly sorry if the buzzing noise irritates you throughout the episode. But please bear with it. I'm hoping my loud overbearing voice can, can drown it out. So with that being said, you can head back to whatever I was saying uh, before. 
So, how can I describe Loki to someone who, I guess, hasn't watched it yet? I would say it is a dysfunctionally, in a good way, appealing show that <laughs> that is filled with the glorious promise of the future of the MCU. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Um... It's it's very fulfilling in the sense if you are a long-standing MCU fan, if you're a comic book fan, um, you will definitely feel like you are ready for more from the MCU after this series. Um, and that is the I get I guess that's the highest praise or the I guess its biggest asset to to this series is the way it sets up. Um, some of the things that we are going to see in store in the MCU in the future. Um, it touches ever so slightly on Loki, uh, which I think is potentially a point where they missed, which I'll get onto in more detail in the spoiler section. But there is a point in this series where I feel like it turns from becoming a Loki series into becoming a build-up for everything else that's to come. And for me, that's where I've I kind of feel like it's it's sort of lost in translation, um, and it shows like this new spectrum of the MCU that we haven't seen before, and I am definitely grateful about that. But for some people that I know a lot, well, one person in particular, which I'll get onto in spoilers, uh, opened my eyes to this particular take. Um, but I feel like. We, if you, if your show is called Loki, right, its sole focus should be Tom Hiddleston's Loki. For people who are incredibly dedicated fans of the MCU, they would know how, how, I guess, important Tom Hiddleston's Loki character is. Um, and I think that he puts a lot of passion into his character, you know, he researches it, he could live and breathe Loki. I think I read an article somewhere where he wouldn't mind playing Loki for the rest of his life, and that's the kind of dedication you get from a ca uh, an actor who really and truly loves this character that he's worked with for so many years and has grown this sort of bond to in a in a really, like in a really close, like, I don't know how to say it, like, so, their, their lives are so intertwined now that you can't not think of Loki when you think of Tom Hiddleston, and vice versa. So, back to the point, is when your MCU show then spends, in my opinion, two episodes fleshing out some of the nitty-gritty, maybe even three, nitty-gritty stuff, about Loki, um, then it kind of it kind of feels disappointing because I know that he's gone through a lot, and I would have liked to see maybe some of those aspects without giving too much away um, explored in the show. But I'll get onto that take in a bit because I gotta give the person who said it to me the credit they deserve. Um, what else can I say? I think. If you're not a big fan of exposition, like rambly bits of dialogue, tell rather than show, 
kinds of um, like TV programs or like forms of media or like MCU things. Like if you're not a big fan of the exposition side of like the MCU, I would recommend you steer clear away from the episodes themselves and maybe potentially just look up what the most important things or listen to some people talk about it instead uh, to get your like fill about what everything is going on in it. Um, it is, but I did really enjoy the exposition coming from a person who does find them quite preachy at the best of times. I think in especially the last episode's exposition, I found that they done an, it, they executed it in a very entertaining way and there is only one reason for that and I will get onto that reason in the spoilers. The humour was pretty good. I loved the early episodes of Loki and his his babbling and rambling and his mischievous ways. It was really present throughout this series and I really enjoyed it. The Wanderer's score. Now, I have to give credit where credit is due about this powerhouse of a composer. Natalie Holt, you are incredible. I am absolutely in love with what you've done with the score of this this show. It's it's everything that I want from like a score in general. It's just so ah, it's so entertaining. Like what I find, I think I should do probably an episode on scores um, at some point because I really want to talk about them and their impact um, on me and I think audiences in general. But I think this score is a score that I could sit and listen to, like, in my pastime, or, like, as, like, for enjoyment purposes, without having the series attached to it, and I think that's an incredible thing to achieve as a person, as a composer, so big, big props to Natalie Holt, I am, like, so impressed with, um, what she's, what she's done with the, the score, and it's the second, only the second female composer in the entire MCU, uh, first being the woman who did the Captain Marvel score, but I am so incredibly happy that this score is probably one of my favourites, as well as Thor Ragnarok, um, in terms of scores for the entirety of the MCU, which um, I'm, I'm extremely stoked and happy about, so yeah, big, big props to her. Um, beautiful cinematography I mean episode three is just like it's it's so like ah it's so incredible to look at like again you just want to you want to touch it you just want to you want to feel it like that's how how good the cinematography is I don't know is that a good gauge of like whether you like the cinematography or not or whether you think it looks good it's like if you want to touch it I don't know that's just me I feel like I don't know, I wanted to be there, and I wanted to experience it, oh, and I wanted to, like, absorb it. It's so weird the way I'm describing it, but that's how I felt, um, especially with some of the colour choices that they used, um, yeah, without saying too much, but yeah, I just loved that aspect of the, the show, and then finally, Tom Hiddleston is acting his butt off as Loki, as he always does, and I think... He really, he really, he, uh, you know, it's all the best parts of Loki, you know, because you get to this point of a stage of where you've got, like, the 
early stages of Loki of like you know being extremely mischievous and like devious and wanting it for himself and like borderline evil but then he's kind of still got some good in him and kind of but now like his progression into the MCU has kind of been like good borderline like going into the evil side which is interesting and I like that and this show has the right balance of both of those because if you think about it we're looking at Loki, um, this is no spoilers for the series because this is like kind of context for um, Loki, the character, and the setup for this series itself, is that the last time and the whole premise of this series is the fact that Loki, you know, took the Tesseract while the Avengers were kind of doing their, th uh, their thing, trying to save the world, you know, casual stuff. Um, and he took the Tesseract and caused a branch in the timeline. And this is where we pick up. And the thing is that the Tesseract was taken Avengers Loki. So we're talking about, like, no character progression from, I think, Thor the Dark World. We're not looking at any character progression from Thor Ragnarok or Infinity War. Uh, though those minutes were very short in Infinity War. Um, so... We're kind of looking at Loki in a in a very like his character is not as fully as developed as we are normally used to, which is nice because you're getting Tom Hiddleston to go back to those to the reason why we loved him as Loki in this mischievous way, which I I loved that whole incorporation of his character and the way they went with that. So yes, I was incredibly pleased and happy with that. So with that being said. Um, just to give, like, a quick, I don't know, like, synopsis of what this series is about, because I realised I didn't say that, but it is essentially what happens when Loki takes the Tesseract and the repercussions of that, where he's gone, why is he doing the things that he's doing, and all of the consequences, I guess, uh, following that. And I think that's the best way to go into this series. If you love Loki as a character, you're going to love this series. Um, and though you may have some qualms with it, if you're like an, a mega super fan of Loki and you respect his character. But I think it overall, it's like a fun ride. And it re if you are one of those people who enjoy the depth and the... I guess, intertwining nature of the entirety of the MCU, I would definitely recommend that this series is the one that you check out. Um, if not WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier hasn't tickled your fancy, I think Loki is the one where you should sit down and and take it all in, uh, in all of its glorious purpose. <laughs> and with that being said, I am going to move on to the spoiler take of... Um, of Loki that I, I have. So if you haven't seen Loki, this is your spoiler warning. Spoilers till the end of the episode, or the recommend to the back end segment of the show. Um, I am going to be dissecting this quite a bit because I have a lot to say. I have a lot of praises to sing. I have a few weaknesses to, to pick at. So if you haven't seen it, pause, watch the series then listen to the podcast, the rest of it anyway. And if you just want it spoiled anyway, I mean, I don't know why you would want to, but you can carry on listening on, and if you've seen it, well, then you're, you're all fine, aren't you? Um, so with that being said, let's get into it. So let's 
let's talk about the favourites of Loki. Spoilers. Okay, so, I think pre-Sylvie-Loki character development, beautiful. Chef's kisses. I absolutely loved it. I loved the mischievous side. I loved the fact that there was this constant back and forth with Mobius, their dynamic. Ah, loved it. It, it was so reminiscent to, like... Um, kind of like a, I want to say like a, a buddy cop kind of thing, but then at the same time, it was a, it was a very weird dynamic between the two, but in the same way, it like, it held you in a, a position long enough to want more of it, which I think was incredible. Owen Wilson, incredible as Mobius, I thought that was excellent casting choice. I'm so, I'm, I don't know how to feel about him being in the MCU at the moment, but I'm, I guess, overall happy that... They found a place for him, and I don't think this is the last we're seeing of Mobius, uh, considering the ambiguous ending of the show. Um, but I just loved it. I loved the whole, you know, one of my favourite scenes in the entirety of the show was the goat scene, where Loki just went wild at Mount Vesuvius like you do. Um, just letting some goats free and causing mischief as he as he usually does and I love that and talking mentioning back on what I spoke about on the non-spoiler take it's this this whole balance of you're getting this mischievous pre you know Ragnarok Loki mixed in with later on in the series some of these deeper tones of you know and even in the first episode if you want to say that um, the those those aspects of, of Loki, you know, the more emotional side of him. Um, so pre-Sylvie, in in the, I guess, the, the Loki arc and Loki character, I did really enjoy. Sylvie as a character, I think she's super solid. I liked what they did with her character and the way that she, you know, I think it was a massive plot twist, by the way, and I loved the fact that... Um, we got this whole, you know, we were theorizing what kind of Lokis are we going to see in this series, and I do really think that they did, um, I don't know, I enjoyed the fact that we're seeing Sylvie or Lady Loki as we specu uh, speculated, and like, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of, of the show, um, Going back to score, I wanted to give a few shout-outs to my favourite scores in the entirety of the soundtrack. Obviously, I could not listen back to episodes four to six soundtracks, because that's currently not out at the moment, which is incredibly annoying, because I really want to listen to them. I think they come out on, like, the 26th of July. Um, still, they're really good. Um, but my favourites from episode one to three would be um, the TVA and the Loki Green theme. Those are the two... I guess, most generic ones that I could have picked, though I have to listen to the soundtrack, like, in its entirety more to develop some more, like, some other favourites, but, you know, it's the the two classic ones that were playing in the intros and the exits, so the bum 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 one, and then the, um, and then it's like the doo 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 that's my like you know non copyright versions of of the songs i don't know whether you can tell but they're both the, like the outro they they serve purpose in the outros of the show or the also the um 
opening credits kind of thing. So yes, did love those scores. I think they were incredible. I have been listening to them constantly. I've been playing it as a soundtrack of in my life currently, like to anything. Like the other day, my tortoise was standing this is really random but I'm gonna say it anyway my tortoise was like standing really majestically above like looking up um in his house and like he was standing on like on top of his food a little bit and I was playing the um which theme was I playing uh it was either the TVA or the Loki green theme but um, I think it was the bum 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 one, and it just looked really dramatic. So it's it's making my like my normal life that's like somewhat like lack of spice with a lot more spice. So like the action of my tortoise just looking up was immediately a hundred times more like um, dramatic, which I thought was incredible. So I'm enjoying the score a lot. If you couldn't tell. Um, Lamentis cinematography. I really want to take a hot minute to talk about the Lamentis cinematography. I feel like everyone is talking about it, but I, I just want to say my two cents about it. I loved the whole one-shot take, like, the this the colour palette. I mean, give me purples and pinks any day and you've won me over. Why do you think my favourite film is La La Land? Like, <laughs> like it is. it was so beautiful to look at and it was so dramatic and it was so you know it was probably the best action sequence of this oh well episode five begs to dither but I do think it is up there with one of the top piece action sequences of the entirety of the series with you know Showing that Loki can push up an entire building, like, back up to where it was, like, that was incredibly cool, and it shows how nerfed his character is, and he just loves his daggers, like, why? <laughs> like, he does uh, think love is, like, an imaginary dagger, which I'm not surprised, but it feels slightly disappointing that we just have, um, we've had only, like, just in, in Thor Ragnarok and in uh, Avengers um, Infinity War, we only had Dagger Loki, which is like, dude, come on. If you're showing me that he can do this much, why have you nerfed him this much kind of thing? Um, but yeah, I loved that cinematography sequence. And I loved the fact that the end of it wasn't what we expect, which is we expect the heroes, or in our case, the anti-heroes, to, to prevail and, you know, get to the ship and manage to escape. But in this particular scenario, we didn't see that, and it kind of left the episode on a massive cliffhanger of, like, well, what the heck are they going to do now, kind of thing. Um, so I liked their choice of doing that. I thought that was really good. Um, definitely not expected from me. Um... Let's take a hot minute to appreciate Tom Hiddleston. I am, like, thoroughly impressed with everything about him in this series. Like, from the acting, from how much detail he put into teaching the other cast members about his character. Like, truly, truly, he knows how to appreciate his, um, his work and he knows how much we care about these characters um in a maybe an unhealthy way 
uh, and maybe he also does like care about Loki in a very unhealthy way but I just think it's I loved the effort that he put in and I was very appreciative of it because it showed throughout the entire show like he shone he literally shone I'm so glad that he he finally got the kind of screen time that he deserved even though if we talk in the weak points that maybe 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 we are a little bit upset about the fact that we got a Loki show and maybe it wasn't enough screen time for him uh, but we'll get onto that. I loved the fact that we explored other multi-dimensional Lokis. So, like, what if Loki was a female? Technically, she, her name is Sylvie, but what if Loki was a female? What if Loki was an alligator? What if Loki was a kid? What if What if Loki was older? What if Loki was, like, this really narcissistic, boastful dude? And I thoroughly enjoyed all of that, so thank you for, for giving me multi-dimensional Loki, something that I didn't think I needed until this point in life, so thank you Marvel for preemptively knowing what I needed in my life. Um, so let's let's talk about some of these other characters. So we've already talked about Mobius, Mobius was really great, I loved, though I'm so disappointed, like on another level of disappointed, that they didn't go with the jet ski storyline. Like, the jet ski storyline was sitting right there. It was ready to be used. You set it up. You, you gave the magazine of the jet ski. You gave the whole idea. You built this theory in my head that Mobius was a variant of a dude who was really obsessed with jet skis. And then for what? For what, Marvel? For what? That was very disappointing. And, um... I think, though, season two will probably explore that a little bit more. Um, and I think... From the reaction of fans... And I'm not the only one who loved Mobius and his little jet ski story. But I think I'm not the only one who feels this way. And I think a lot of people... Um... Marvel will kind of evaluate the fact that... That audiences really responded strongly to Mobius and his character. So I think this is not the last time we're seeing Owen Wilson's character. We think we're going to see a lot more of him. So before I talk about the, I guess, not the biggest cameo, because I wouldn't really call it a cameo, I don't think it's fair to say that, uh, considering the entire last episode is kind of dedicated to this character. Um... I'd like to say that I'm going to save that, I guess, bombshell of a reveal till the end. So that's the last character I want to talk about. But let's talk about the others. I mean, we still have, uh, we haven't talked about Renslayer, so let's talk about Renslayer. So, Renslayer, I think her character was very much... I mean, she served her purpose for the narrative, but the issue I had with it is... It very much felt like her character is really being set up for the next season. Um, which is not how you should kind of have your characters in a show. They should really, if you, if they're there, or a TV, um, whether it be a TV show or a film, you shouldn't have your character just there to set up an, another thing. Um, especially if it's in the main meaty parts of, of the, the plot. Um, we're not talking like end credit scenes here because those are specifically designed to keep you hyped for next things. But 
I think that her character was mm, underused or maybe wasn't even necessary for this particular season. But I'm excited to see where she's going to go next season now. Uh, coming from the whole, she's confused about the TVA as well and she wants to figure out what's going on. So I'm kind of hyped for that aspect. But other than that, I didn't think much of Renslayer yet. I am excited to see, you know, delve into her past. I mean, she's a 2018 variant. She's, um, she's gone off by herself to try and figure out what's going on. And in the comics, she is married or in a relationship with another character that we see in this series. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how their dynamic grows because I feel like they are going to be working together quite a bit and we might see some of some of that in this series. So another character we had was Miss Minutes which um I got I gotta be honest I didn't expect her to be as likable as she was I don't know she had a very very minor role in this series but that minor role was kind of fun and I don't know, sort of jump scary and sort of like she was leading, letting on more than she knew, uh, which obviously made sense for the last episode. Um, and then, like, I I think she, I think her character was cool and interesting and um, I loved her accent, her little quirky personality and I do think, once again, we are going, it, it's not the end of Miss Minutes, I do think we're going to see more of her maybe. Um, whether it be the slightest bit more or like a lot more hard to tell but I do think we're going to see more of Miss Minutes um so I didn't hate her uh, so to speak um before I talk about Big Bombshell in episode 6 I wanted to talk about episode 5 a little bit because I think episode 5 is still another really good one um so episode 5 I really liked because there was a lot of easter eggs in there and I really enjoyed the attention to because we're in this place called the void after Loki had been zap zapped, uh, pruned as well as Mobius um, and we're there and um, we see all these variants of Loki and we see a Thanos helicopter we see Throg which is Thor as a frog who was actually voiced by Chris Hemsworth um, you have Gosh, what else do you have? You have Quang Towers, which is a play on um, Stark Towers, but in a in ultimate in like a different dimension. Then you uh, is it a dimension, multiverse, different branch, let's say, of time. Um, then what else have you got? Gosh, so much more. So many just little, little tiny Easter eggs that I really enjoyed and appreciated in that episode. Another thing I really enjoyed in that episode was Classic Loki. I think Classic Loki, incredible. Richard E. Grant, you were a legend. And I loved, I think that on the scene where he restores like this Asgard thing for then the monster cloud thing to, I've forgotten the name of that. But... The way that it kind of, like, that was his, I guess, redemption arc for him, I guess. Um, it was really enjoyable and I loved, I loved that. Um, so I'm very impressed with 
uh, his character, and the, even though he had such a short amount of screen time, it felt very cool and interesting. So big, big props to that. Um, so let's let's address the elephant in the room, Kang. That's right. So the the whole leader of the TVA is not the time time wizards. They're not called time wizards. Keepers. That's it. Um, so it was not the timekeepers, it was this whole elaborate ruse by the one and only Kang, or a variant of Kang. Uh, some are saying his variant is Immortus, who is like the the most good version, so has the most good in him uh, version of, a variant, sorry, of Kang. And um, I am very, I wanted Kang to show up in this series, I was like, okay, they're either going to pull an Agatha all along and make it Miss Minutes, who's in charge of the entire TVA, or they're going to play the big guns and they're actually going to commit to Kang. Especially in episode 5, you could see a lot of links to Kang. I mentioned Quang Tower. Quang is a variant of Kang, which... Um, which is interesting, so you see, or it's a tech company that is run by a variant of Kang, either way, you can see there are links and there was easter eggs and it was all kind of building up and bubbling up and I had my heart set out on Kang, I wouldn't have been disappointed if we didn't have Kang because um, I wasn't banking on it like a Mephesto situation, but it was more of like a, it would be really nice if we had Kang because we know that we're going to see him. He's already been cast as Jonathan Majors for... Which I found very weird. That's why I thought we were getting Kang. Um, but they casted well in advance that Jonathan Majors is going to be Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3, Quantumania. So, all signs were pointing to Kang. I was very hesitant to, to latch onto that idea. But we got... We got a variation of Kang, which was incredible, and I, and I am so happy that the MCU committed to such a big villain. So yay, I'm I'm genuinely extremely excited about that. So we had an entire meaty, juicy like um, monologue or exposition of just Jonathan Majors talking at you about everything and just because I imagine I imagine that he doesn't have too much company other than Miss Minutes um in the void because I imagine he doesn't get too many visitors uh, other than Miss Minutes in the void so he spent a long time telling his story and it was very interesting not in the way that normal monologues are um or expositions are kind of meaty and weighty in that regard but or sometimes kind of feel like a bit of a chore to listen to. But this time around I thought it was really good and really enjoyable. What I loved about um, Kang's whole exposition scene, uh, which basically ran through the entirety of episode um, 6, it was, it was the main uh, driving point of episode 6, what I absolutely enjoyed about it was the camera work, or whether it's cinematography or camera work, I really, uh, or maybe they mean the same thing, um, I loved that about this, um, about this episode, and I think that's why, um, I loved that episode so much, 
because not only was Jonathan Majors acting his butt off, it was incredible just to see him be, and we're getting a glimpse into what this kind, um, what this character has to offer and to bring into the MCU. But, um, moving back onto the point is I just loved his exposition scene and the way that the camera, I thought it was metaphorical, um, the camera movements to him as a person. So, like, his, um, I guess, eccentric or erratic behaviour. And what I mean by that, sorry, is that, um... You get these slow zooms in of um, of he who remains, which is his name, other than Kang, technically in the show he is he who remains. What I loved about it was you got these slow zooms into his face and I feel like that's metaphorical for him just getting lost in his own world and forgetting where he is or who he's talking to, to like Loki and Sylvie. And then you slowly zoom out and like it's like he remembers that they're there and he needs to talk to them about this big important thing. So I really did enjoy that whole exposition scene for those reasons and I just, I don't know, I think I focused too much on all, all of the things that were going on in that episode because I was paying so much attention to detail to everything he was saying, you know, some will call him the Conqueror which was like incredible, it was like almost the equivalent of like you know, Thanos taking the gauntlet and being like, fine, I'll do it myself kind of thing. It was really exciting and it got me super hyped for the future of the MCU. Because not only do we have um, Jonathan Majors coming in as Kang, but we also have <clears throat> it being confirmed for season two and we also have, you know, the fact that Loki has been left in this position of being with a Mobius that doesn't remember who he is, which is really really it's all just crazy in my opinion and it leaves on a massive massive cliffhanger and Sylvie kind of just sitting back thinking about what she's done by killing this version of Kang who is keeping order to the multiverse and potentially causing multiversal war wow it's a lot to take in and um that's why I love this show it was a lot to take in and I think we as Marvel fans kind of have deserved this kind of bite or taste into the future of what the MCU holds. So I think that wraps up my favourites. I've talked about a lot of my favourites and what I truly enjoyed about this show. So let's move on to talking more about, I guess, the weak points of this show. Now initially, I didn't have any. Um, which is a bit weird. Oh, okay, I had one. <laughs> I had one... Um, kind of qualm with this show um but uh, having spoken to um Gracie who was on the last MCU show shout out to Gracie absolutely incredible mind for thinking about this um she drew me to some of the weak points of this show so let's start off with my take my take is I think Loki and Sylvie's romance was incredibly forced you could have left it off that they were friends that had this incredibly complex bond of being both the same person and truly understanding each other where in both of these Loki variants lives they haven't had that person to have 
some sort of understanding towards them. It doesn't always necessarily need to be a romantic relationship for, for that to be explored. So I was slightly disappointed about the way that that was executed. I didn't like the Loki Sylvie, I think they pushed that agenda too much. Um, and I think that being one of the main driving forces of the plot and of Sylvie's character really bugged me a lot. Which is why I said in my favourites part that the pre-Loki plot was really good. And I don't mean that in a way to diss Sylvie. I think Sylvie was an incredible character. I just wish they had not reduced both of them to a romance. That was just my opinion. Now, another thing is this show can be preachy at the best of times in terms of exposition. It does have a lot of, we're telling you what the TVA is, we're giving you a lot of this information, you kind of have to absorb it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is preachy at the best of times, but I kind of enjoyed some of the exposition, though I have, I can say that there was some that just felt long and convoluted and really annoying, so less exposition in season two, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see, we're just gonna have to, maybe these show's purposes are for exposition, because I feel like yeah, I feel like a lot of these shows has quite a lot of exposition-y, long monologue type things. So let's talk about Gracie's take. So, I was talking to the lovely Gracie on Instagram, and um, she is a massive Loki fan, like one of the biggest Loki fans that I know. Uh, very invested with the lore of this character, and lots of attention to detail uh, about that. So I was having a conversation with her about Loki, as you do, because that's what that's what we do, talk about Marvel constantly. And she said, and I quote, this is all Great C's words, not mine. I am so disappointed that Wanda fans got full character study of her grief. Sam and Bucky fans got an evolution of their companionship and a critique on America, American racial politics. Us Loki fans got a plot uh, deceived to set up more content. That's it. I felt like he was depicted as pretty useless through the series and Sylvie was put in there to take the glory as if they felt they needed her to carry the show. Which they didn't because Loki is one of the best written characters in the MCU. And she said, I hope we get a better exploration of Loki... <clears throat> because he is my favourite character and I honestly feel cheated of a show. I'm genuinely gutted. Now, that was a hot take if I had ever heard one, because everyone that I'm seeing online is incredibly in awe of this show. But I sat there and I thought about it. And when I actually thought about it, I understood exactly what Gracie was saying. A lot of these MCU shows are touching on some of these side characters in a way that explores more than just their powers, more than just the setup, more than just, you know, being there um, to, to help out a, a bigger purpose, whether it be a character or a plot device, right? So when you have a Loki TV show who has such dedicated fans um, and such passionate fans about doing, you know, like, um, their own kind of, like, things that they believe to be canon and making up all these stories about, about him and, and, you know, this passion for, for his character. To have him reduced to, as Gracie so well said, um, 
just, I guess, carrying the baton or passing the baton to Sylvie to take all of and tr trying to make Sylvie carry the show. I have nothing against Sylvie and her character being used, but I do think they should have sideline. Sylvie should have been the sideline character to give Loki his moment to shine. Because, <clears throat> as that's already been confirmed, we are getting more Loki. We are getting more Tom Hiddleston. We're getting uh, another season of, of this show. So why are we not giving him the time and space that he needs and instead setting up this wider picture MCU thing? I think Kevin Feige even went on the record of saying that he wanted um, the these TV series to, to not tie into the films as much. Saying that if you didn't watch the series, you could watch the films and um, be completely fine with only just watching the films. However, I feel like you really do need to watch Loki to, to understand the TV series. And that's because it so heavily relies on wider picture MCU building rather than focusing on Loki as the character himself. So Gracie, thank you for your take and thank you for making me think about it in that way because I really do think we deserved better, honestly. We deserved, you know, some complex low-key emotions going through processing his mother's death, his relationship with his brother finally repairing only for it to, I guess, never have happened for him and processing his death. You know, we saw a lot of... <clears throat> complicated emotions of Loki in Thor, Rag uh, Thor The Dark World um, and I feel like there is just a lot that could have been explored there that just hasn't and I feel like it could be and I'm really disappointed and as Gracie puts it as well is also absolutely gutted um, that we didn't get this and yeah, thinking about it from the- because I left the season finale thinking wow this is incredible but then Upon reflection, um, I do I do think we were cheated of some really juicy character development for Tom Hiddleston's Loki, and it should be deserved. I mean, that man loves Loki so much, and I think he deserves the proper character development and character arc that he deserves, not to be just put in the sidelines. So those are my biggest weakest uh, weakest biggest weak points of Loki because. Uh, I didn't have many, but I think that take really does kind of put a damper on the entire series when you think about it. And I think this is where you need to think as an MCU fan. Um, do you constantly want loads and loads of content that builds up to more content? So you're in this constant cycle of you're waiting for the next thing or the thing that you're watching is building up to the next thing and you're constantly in this waiting game? Or do you want characters to be explored in depth? Like we saw touches of in in WandaVision, and I think we saw more of in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is why I did love uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier quite a lot. Um, so we'll have to see uh, the direction that these series take. I mean, we've got a few more coming up, but I'll talk about that more in the larger picture MCU stuff. So with that being said, that wraps up my weak points about Loki. So let's move on to the episode ranking. I wanted to give you a quick overview about how I ranked all of the episodes and why I ranked them. So coming in at last place, even though I absolutely loved the cinematography of this episode, it just felt very filler-esque. Um, 
and in a limited series or, or a two season series now that we have come to learn it felt very filler and it felt it didn't move the plot very well other than give us some visually stunning stuff um so and that is Lamentis, which is episode three so even though this is the first time we're seeing interactions between Loki and Sylvie, I just think all I remember this episode for is the the beautiful cinematography. So that's why I'm giving it a sixth place. Very, very sorry, but that's my hot take. Fifth, I would have to give episode two, which is the variant, which is where we explore Mobius and um, Loki's relationship with each other. Um, the most notable scene of this episode is the one that I mentioned before about Loki, Mount Vesuvius and Pompeii, um, basically letting the goats run free and Mobius just being like, what the heck is going on? What are you doing? Um, that is the momentous part of that episode that I remember and that is the only part of that episode I remember. So I guess that kind of, uh, there's a theme of, of, of how I'm ranking these episodes of the most memorable parts. Though I did, I have to stress that I did find this ranking extremely difficult because all of these episodes are really good for their own reasons. Um, but I just love the variant a little bit more than Lamentis because I just, you, we got to see playful Loki again and mischievous Loki again. So um, I really enjoyed it for that reason. Next up in fourth, it is the Nexus event, which trying to remember is when they captured... Uh, Sylvie and Loki. Loki got trapped in that um, weird time loop thing where Sif is constantly inflicting pain on him after he cut her hair as a prank. I mean, Loki, you picked the wrong person to mess with in that case. But I really enjoyed that episode because we got the pruning of Loki and Mobius, which was extremely plot twisty. And I was like, oh my god, what? They've killed off the two main characters and the best dynamic duo we've seen um and then it was like oh wait no in the end credit scene there's like you can wake up and they've been pruned but they've been taken to the void kind of thing very very peculiar um concept the void but whatever we're gonna brush over it but yeah thoroughly enjoyed that and I really I um I love that episode because we got to see we got to see this the what was the, was the pruning Oh, we finally got to find out that the timekeepers were not real. And then in fact that they were robots, um, which was really, really cool. So that's where the plot starts thickening and we get to understand, we try and understand what the hell is going on with the TVA essentially, because right now we're just confused. Um, so that's why I loved episode four, next event, I put it in fourth. <laughs> so third, I'm going to have to say episode one, Glorious Purpose, um, is what I'm going to give as, as third place. I think Glorious Purpose is really good because Tom Hiddleston is acting his socks off and we get the, <clears throat> and we get the first glimpse into the relationship between Mobius and uh, Loki, which was really good, already hitting the mark with the dynamic. Mobius coming in hard on him, uh, being super harsh, and uh, causing Loki to, to, I guess, reveal some emotions that he probably wouldn't necessarily want to. Um, and that's why I love, and showing his entire life before him, because as you remember, as you recall, this is like MCU, like Avengers Assemble, sorry, uh, 
um, Loki, like, coming off of a defeat and then already to be hit with more devastating stuff about his life is so... And him trying to wrap his head around the entire situation because he thinks he's being deceived. That's why I loved episode one. One was incredible. Um, glorious purpose. Loved it. So now two and one, we've got the uh, the last two episodes that we have left as five and six. So I'm giving five, second, and six uh, first purely because of hype reasons. Now I know that if this was... If we were basing this purely on the uh, the perspective of how Loki's character arc, I think this list maybe has the variant and glorious purpose a bit higher, maybe first and second position. But I really did enjoy um, episodes six and five. So second place is episode five, which is Journey into Mystery, where we get all the Loki variants uh, coming together. We get the void, we get this whole battle between um, that puffy cloud dragon thing and then finally getting to see at the end of the episode the gateway to um, the person who is in charge of the TVA finally. Um, I just think it's an incredibly... It was an incredibly cool episode for a lot of reasons because we finally get this taste into the multiverse and where the multiverse is taking us in the MCU. So... Um, uh, especially with all the variants, so I definitely enjoyed that, and the series, as I mentioned before, and Richard E. Grant as um, classic Loki, all, all props, props to all of that. So that means I have placed, for all time, always, episode 6 as number 1, for obvious reasons, John um, Jonathan Majors, for the hype, for learning more about where the MCU is going to head in the future, the cliffhangers. I just, I adored that episode um, for those specific reasons, though I do see why it would be a disappointing um, episode uh, for some people. But I, I personally saw it from the perspective of hype purposes. So definitely I loved that episode so much. I also want to check Journey into Mystery. Why have they named it Journey into Mystery, right? That specific episode. Because if you think about it, all these episodes are named super closely and tie super closely in with, um, I guess, Marvel things um, in the series. So for all time, always is the slogan for the TVA, Glorious Purpose is Loki's infamous catchphrase. Nexus event is mentioned. The variant variants are mentioned and then Lamentis is the entire um what's it called that place that they went one of the strongest nexus um events but then journey into mystery it's very interesting because we don't necessarily that's never mentioned in an episode so I got to thinking just now, like literally just now, why have I heard Journey into Mystery before? Now I have, this is going to sound so long and convoluted, but bear with me, stick with me. I have a Marvel Monopoly set, right? And it's based on the comics of different characters in the MCU. So it has like, um, not the MCU, more so Marvel in general, just Marvel comics. And each property set is named a particular comic from a character so you've got like the likes of Captain America you've got Doctor Strange um, you've got Black Panther uh, Iron Man Spider-Man all that stuff right 
One of Doctor Strange's property sets is called Journey into Mystery. And I think that's such a subtle and nice Easter egg to kind of say, and especially for episode five, which is talking about the different versions and variants of, of um, Loki, it is a brilliant way to kind of say, hey, this is our way of saying welcome to the multiverse. Like, this, is, be prepared for it, because it's coming and Doctor Strange is going to have to fix everything that, that's been broken kind of thing. So, I don't know, personally I found it as a, a really brilliant uh, small little easter egg that I wouldn't even have noticed because I don't really read the comics, but um, I just thought it was a small little thing that I, that I liked. Upon some research, of just having a Google into this, this comic, okay, this is really interesting, I'm going on a massive tangent, but this comic features Thor, Heimdale, Doctor Strange, Jane Foster, Odin, and Loki as an antag antagonist, and Baron Mordo is mentioned. This is really interesting. This okay. I think this leads us perfectly onto larger picture MCU, right? Because I feel like this has segued on quite well. So if we look at Journey into Mystery, Baron Mordo is still alive and quite evil at the end of the Doctor Strange in the end credit scene. We have Loki, who is freaking out about everything, and you have Doctor Strange. I think that is such a brilliant... If I think that is intentional, 100% intentional, and I, I give massive props to the um the entirety of of whoever whoever wrote that episode name big props because I like that um we like to see see those small types of things in the MCU so larger picture we're getting a season two I think the direction of season two is going to be trying to figure I think it's going to be more Sylvie focused which is really annoying but my hope is that they focus it more on Tom Hiddleston please um, but that's that's the direction I can kind of see season two kind of looking into. We've got Kang the Conqueror. I think Kang the Conqueror is going to be the next big villain of the MCU. The way he talked about this multiversal war between different variants of himself sounds so catastrophic, and I am incredibly excited to see where that goes. I kind of, in the favourite, said, what if, you know, Loki was older? What if Loki was a kid? Which leads perfectly on to the What If series that we're getting. It means that everything that we see in the What If series is technically canon. Because all of them are different branches of what potentially could have happened. Um, which I love. I'm very excited for that. So it gives us a taste of this thing that we've just learned about in Loki. In a very unique form. Because we're getting an animated form that's technically canon MCU. That has some really interesting storylines to do with some of our favourite characters. So I'm excited that I understand the ordering of the way that they've done uh, the series. So I love the fact that we're getting What If like in August, which is really cool. Multiverse. This has opened the multiverse. We are in full swing of trying to understand what this means for the MCU going forward. We already have heard rumours, strong, strong rumours that... Um, we're getting multiple Spider-Men in No Way Home, and I think 
that this series will be a direct repercussion. No, the, uh, sorry. The repercussions of this series will... Not... I'm not going to use repercussions. The ramifications of this series onto Spider-Man uh, No Way Home are going to be immense because that's where we're going to see, I guess, Doctor Strange in this as well. And I think we're going to see kind of this thing of Doctor Strange is unsure of what's going on and why all these Spider-Men exist and, and I guess... Tom, not Tom Holland, Peter Parker is going to have to go to Doctor Strange to seek for help in understanding what the heck is going on, and he's going to have to try and understand what the heck is going on, We're so they're slowly going to start to learn what is happening to the multiverse kind of thing, um, which I'm incredibly excited for. Please release a trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home. I think we're getting one either next week or the week after. I want to say, because this film's coming out in December and we haven't got a single trailer for it yet. So, waiting. We're going to play the wait game. And then, of course, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. The Hollywood Reporter has already said that Loki is confirmed to be in Doctor Strange. However, Loki... Um, not Loki. Um, Marvel have not come on record to confirm that yet. Um, so, we'll see how that goes. But I do think there is a strong chance that we're going to see... Loki, Wanda, and Doctor Strange in uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness because all of them are just messing up things and Doctor Strange has to be the parent and kind of fix everything. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see that. And finally, um, I guess moving away from larger picture MCU, I just kind of want to say that Loki is my favourite of, of all the three shows that we have currently. Um, I think in terms of hype... So, I think it's my favourite because I love the score, I thought it was interesting concept, and I'm just a big sucker for hype stuff to do with the MCU. However, it is not on paper the best, I guess, cohesively written plot, I think. Um, that goes to Falcon and the Wind Soldier, I really enjoyed the amount of detail and depth each character was getting into. Um, but I do think Loki wins on a hype perspective, and then WandaVision kind of... The most obscure and unique and most out-of-the-box MCU project that we have had, which is why I love that. So I love all the series for very different reasons, but I think Loki just tips the scales ever so slightly. So that leaves me to wrap up the entirety of talking about Loki. I have spoken about Loki for a long time, um, but then again there are six episodes, so uh, I had to talk about everything that I loved about it and I didn't love. So that means we have moved on to the infamous segment, the recommend or to the back end. This week, your girl has been busy, okay? I have watched a lot, and by a lot, not a lot of films, because I have been neglecting the TV series aspect of the recommend to the back end segment. So I have three TV series I want to talk about and one film. So let's have a look. So firstly, I watched season two of Never Have I Ever. I watched it all in one day when it came out on Thursday. And I have to say, I did love it. I mean, I do love the characters. I mean, I love Devi. I love Paxton. I love Ben. I love their whole dynamic. I loved the new character that they introduced. I loved... Um, I loved everything about it. I was quite disappointed about, about how cringy some of the scenes are and how much they... 
how much they make Devi's character really unlikable, which is really interesting. Um, I think that's the point. The point is you're you're trying to make this character not perfect, which is good. I, I like that uh, sense of rawness. But sometimes it can be a bit too much. And some of her actions are like, oh my god, please stop. I'm cringing for you. Like, ah. But overall, I did love the season. Um, you should definitely check it out uh, if you haven't. I mean, this just... It's a teenage show about an Indian... American basically um, trying to get through high school in a way uh, whilst dealing with the things of, of being a teenager um, person, well, woman or child or teenager of colour um, in America and just living life. And then another TV series that I watched, which is of. Uh, so, Never Have I Ever was definitely a recommend. It's on Netflix. You should definitely check them out. Both seasons are on Netflix. Um, one that's kind of like a weird in-between is this show called Cuckoo. Now, probably none of you guys are gonna heard of, uh, going to have heard of it. It's because I got ill this week and I didn't have the um, attention span to watch an entire film and concentrate on a really good film. So I turned to TV series on Netflix and I have seen most of the long series. I've seen Superstore, I've seen... Modern Family, I've seen Community, like just the whole lot, Gossip Girl, like all of it. I've seen all of it. I have seen all of it. So I turned to some more obscure British shows, and Cuckoo is an obscure British show who has, uh, I think his name is Greg Davies. He's the main man behind Taskmaster, again, another very British show. Um, and it also had, for the first season, Andy Samberg in it, which was a pleasant surprise. And I think season one of Cuckoo was so great, but season two has Taylor Lautner in it, and I'm very confused, and it just has not, I guess, intrigued me enough to watch it, want to watch it more. Very bizarre. It's about um, a girl who marries a man that she meets on her backpacking in Thailand, um, and comes home with him and expects her parents to kind of just let them live with each other and everything that goes on in between which is incredibly weird um so that's cuckoo in a nutshell so i would give that a weird in the limbo of recommend and to the back end i think it's weird you should definitely check it out i mean i think it's only on maybe uk netflix but if you can find it not on uk netflix watch one episode and and just be in utter weird shock kind of thing then, um, my final TV series that I have to say, I've only watched two episodes of, but I'm already loving it because it's made by, um, the Dream Team, which is Taika Waititi and, is it Jermaine Clement? Absolutely love him. Both of them, it was mainly uh, Clement who did this show, and I absolutely adore it. It's basically in the What We Do in the Shadows universe and it's uh, about the police that are in Wellington, Australia, not Australia, oh my god, bad Nandisha, it's not Australia, it's New Zealand, uh, Wellington, New Zealand and basically talking about the police force dealing with supernatural paranormal activities and the, making a special police division in the Wellington um, police force for paranormal stuff which is really, really cool, love it, recommend it, it's all the vibes of, um, of what we do in the shadows and so much more, so you should definitely check it out.
And then finally, my final, I guess, recommend to the back end um, would be Cruella. So I watched Cruella with my good friend and fellow podcast guest, um, Kingsley, and I have to say, it was very entertaining for the wrong reasons. So I would give it a recommend, though, on paper, it should probably be a back end. So... Essentially, Cruella has Emma Stone and Emma Thompson in it. Basically, she uh, Emma Stone is playing Cruella Deville, and um, or her name is what's her name? Is it Ella? But that's bad. No, it's not Ella. She plays Cruella Deville's like origin story kind of character thing, and um, explores like her her passion for fashion. Excuse the cringe in that. I did not think about those words before I said them. Um, and basically, I sounded like a Bratz character. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop. We're not going to draw more attention to it. Um, and essentially, just her and her slowly, her slow descent into madness, essentially. So a typical Cruella de Vil origin story, but without any of the 101 Dalmatians aspects to it. Um, I thought it was really fun. I just, I just laughed at it, you know? I didn't think of it, like, you know, in a, in a, um, I guess, critical way, as I would maybe for other films, but I just found it entertaining, because who wouldn't love some extravagant fashion, Emma Stone doing a really, really, like, strong British accent, um, that makes you want to talk like that once you finish the film. Um, and um, just, you know, everything about it. It was really fun. Though on paper it's not good. So once again, I gave it a weird in the limbo of recommend to the back end. I mean, watch it if you want something fun to watch and lighthearted, but don't watch it if you're, if you're expecting something super serious and like the next big thing kind of thing. So that leaves me to the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, it's been a roller coaster. Um, I have had to stop this recording maybe four times to erupt into coughing fits, but we've got there. We've managed to get there in the end. So I'm glad you stuck with me on this journey. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, or Overcast, um, hello, hi. If you're new, hello and hi. Um, you should definitely give the podcast a follow and subscribe there, that way you get notified every time I release a new episode. Um, and whilst you're there, if you're on Apple Podcasts, why don't you leave a nice five-star rating and a really awesome review, it would help more people find the podcast. Um, and if you want to know what films I'm watching on a day-to-day basis that I may not talk about in my podcast episode and find some reviews and ratings that I have of them, you can follow me on my Letterboxd account underscore Nandita underscore there. Letterboxd is a really cool app. You should definitely check it out just in general if you're a film nerd like me. Um, and if you want to keep up to date with when I'm releasing things, what what I'm releasing, and just interact with me more, you can follow me on my Instagram and Twitter accounts at DeetsWithDita for both. With that being said, next week's episode, I don't want to give it away, but I will say it's a director's episode, so I'm doing a director's-themed episode next week, um, so I hope you can stick around for that. It's going to be a very interesting director, because a lot of the directors that I do are quite um, acclaimed and really, like, um, loved, but I think this one is more of a controversial one, 
Um, so I'm interested to see your thoughts on the episode on that person. So thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you all next week. Bye, everyone.